Hello and welcome back to the From Page to Picture podcast where we take you page by page and scene by scene from the movie adaptations of all your favourite books. We are your hosts Lucy and George and this is episode 8 where we will be talking about How to Train Your Dragon by Priscilla Cowell. How to Train Your Dragon does as the name suggests and follows the rather troublesome training and relationship between a Viking hiccup and his dragon Toothless. Repeating their lives from first introductions to much closer relations, we get to see an unlikely pair blossom into a world of loud Vikings and even louder dragons. How to Train Your Dragon is a series of 12 children's books by renowned children's book author Cressida Cowell, with the first book having been published in 2003 and the last one 2015. By 2015, the series had sold more than 7 million copies around the world. The books have subsequently been made into a franchise consisting of three films of the same name, several short stories and an animated television series all produced by DreamWorks Animation. Only four of the books, however, have been made into films. For the focus of this episode, the first film is directed by Chris Sanders in Dune de Blois, the fantastic directors of Lilo and Stitch, and stars the voices of Jay Baruchel, Gerard Butler, Jonah Hill and many more. The film has earned nearly $500 million worldwide, becoming a hit for kids with Build-A-Bear Teddies of Toothless and an Academy Award nomination for Best Animated Feature and Best Original Score. It didn't win, though, sadly, missing out to Toy Story 3, Boo, and The Social Network. It did, however, win 10 Annie Awards, including Best Animated Feature. The film also has a 99% on the tomato meter and a 91% audience score. It's fair to say then that both book and film have been incredibly popular and successful with kids and adults alike, becoming DreamWorks Animation's most successful film other than the Shrek films. I know I personally loved both the book and the film and it's incredibly hard to pick a favourite, but I'm interested, George. What did you think of both book and film? Well, uh, that's a very good question. I was expecting a film when I went into the book and that was probably the biggest mistake I went in with because... They are very different, but very charming in very polarizingly opposite ways, which I I both loved and was surprised by. Yeah, I think like both of us have watched watched the film before. We read the books, and um, and I think like none of us read it when we were kids. But I think it's fair to say like the plot of the film is completely different to the plot of the book. And like while it's different though, it's kind of a good different. Like the film does a good job of kind of creating its own universe and its own kind of like world in and of itself and explaining like the, the plot of the book but also making it unique. Absolutely, yeah. As a kind of technicality, if you can't tell I'm doing air quotes right now, I'd say How to Train a Dragon as a film is actually technically a bad adaptation because of how much it doesn't link to the book. But then it's definitely just using it as a set of guidelines and inspiration because it's like, okay, this is a cool naming title. The concept sounds interesting. So let's take the title, the idea of Vikings and Dragons, and then being trained. Let's just take that and make a film based around that. And then that's how they did it. It's very very different to the book's interpretation of the world but it does it does make enough references to keep somewhat faithful but it's very much its own thing yeah i think like the main thing is that like in the the vikings in the book like they have this the custom of like capturing and training in combat against the dragons um, and kind of the dragons are seen as like people they have ownership over whereas like in the film it's very much they are fighting a war against the dragons and like 
they only switch to the training after hiccups the one that's like well we can actually train these dragons and that's that kind of dichotomy like we're going to take this idea of training dragons but we're con- going to completely turn it on its head by having like vikings versus dragons in the film whereas like we've got the subservience in the book yeah it's really weird because like i went in and i was really surprised with the first chapter being like oh uh they're getting their own dragons and it's not like some taboo for them to actually be getting dragons and that really surprised me i I was expecting it to be very much like oh a a forbidden uh training slash love but but not love that'd be very weird uh between these two characters but it was very much like oh this is been a thing for a while it's the norm now just verbally abuse your dragons into doing what you want yeah also like like hiccup um captures toothless in the book and like like sticks him in his backpack and he's like right we'll take you off to camp whereas like in the film he finds toothless and toothless is stuck and like literally can't get out because he can't fly and i think that's interesting that it's kind of like Toothless is seen as kind of the dangerous dragon that can't get out and therefore needs Hiccup in the film, whereas it's the opposite way around in the book, whereas like Hiccup needs Toothless to be able to show that he can stay in the tribe and not be exiled. I think that kind of leads into probably one of the biggest changes between book and film, and that is the actual depiction of what Toothless looks like. Because in the uh, book, Toothless is this, but he basically looks like how the tiny terror looks like in the film. He's just this tiny little runt of a dragon, which no one really pays much attention to. Whereas the film is this big, beautiful, regal black dragon. And fun fact, uh, so the book uh, version of Toothless is much like the tiny terror, as I just mentioned. Uh, But the director of the film wanted a dragon that Hiccup could actually climb up on and they wanted something they could better emote, which is really well done with like the big wide eyes and the just the way he just trots along. And a follow-up fact, uh, Toothless uh, actually resembles uh, Stitch from Lilo and Stitch because the directors of How to Train a Dragon also directed Lilo and Stitch. And that is just amazing to me how they made that and they also made Lilo and Stitch, which are two of the best animated films in a while and i'm apologize lucy for stealing your joke no no right so before we recorded this me and george were like we're gonna have the same fact that's not my fact oh my god but that my fact's so good that's that's a really good fact though because i didn't like i didn't realize the comparisons between like toothless and stitch and and when you've said that i can totally see it now because it's it's just so cute. Like Stitch is so adorable and so is Toothless. And I think like I kinda I kinda like that they've changed that from the book. Like he's like small and common and like disobedient. Like he's so disobedient. He won't like capture like fish or anything. Whereas I kinda like the powerful intelligence, but also kind of the cuteness of Toothless in the film. Yeah, I think it definitely I a kind of somewhat criticism I have with the book, which I kind of get is because it's only a short book, is that there isn't much development of this dragon. It kind of starts as this annoying little worm of a dragon and it ends as this slightly less annoying little worm of a dragon. Whereas the the film, Toothless, is quite 
intimidating and just powerful to look at. But then as you get on, they become more goofy and wholesome and just you really you start to the film does a good job of linking our perspective of Toothless to Hiccup's perspective of Toothless. Like we're always in his eyes of his opinion of Toothless, which was, I thought was really well done. Yeah, I completely agree. I think like the best moments in the film are those montage sections where they're kind of learning to be with each other um, and kind of like, yeah, you see Toothless learning to smile and like you watch as like Hiccup's trying to feed Toothless and just like not get too close. And then like Toothless just becomes this like little friend that kind of protects Hiccup like with all his mind. It's, it's just so cute and you just want to give Toothless like a massive hug. And a very large fish. Mm, that scene much. where like they're doing the whole dancing across all the the lines drawn in the ground is probably one of the best scenes it's definitely my, my top 10 for animated scenes in the film like, and it's, it's so cute so so well done and it's a believable way for them to connect and it's, it's very good I think like, another one of the best scenes that they do like animation wise is when um, Hiccup is flying Toothless like on top of him and they're flying and it's it's like just the way that the camera moves as they move it's so insane to watch and just just literally beautiful. Absolutely phenomenal and that leads really well into my other fact that uh, this is they did it really well how uh, they animated the flying of Toothless and that was because the animators had to attend a flight school during production that there was a legitimate program in which they had, would study physics and movements of different creatures for realism and they actually received a diploma at the end of it so like they literally had to study for like an extended period of time how to do this realistically and it clearly paid off in a beautiful way and coupling that with the Oscar nominated soundtrack especially at that point it's just an iconic part of that film which is so well done and it just shows like the dedication as well like because i'm assuming it was all cgi so like to even go and do a flight class knowing that it'd be cgi anyway like that's insane i, I did see another fact which i didn't actually include in this but i thought it was really cool like relating to the cgi is that they use a lot of references for like cats for Toothless as a character, which I thought was really cool because it'd be like Toothless just running around. Like, it would be a cat trying to catch something on its tail and then they'd use that exact thing for Toothless and it, I thought it gave that really realistic element to the special effects of Toothless. That, that links to my fact. My fact is oh, that... Finally. Um, <laughs> excuse me, you're putting all your facts up front. I saved mine. Um, so Toothless is a cross between a black panther, a bat, and a small bird of prey. Um, and the head of character animation, Simon Otto, said in 2014, um, with an interview of Empire, that he had some snake-like influences in his design and his behavior is cat, dog, horse, and a lot of other odd animals like wombats and kangaroos. So I think that's really cool that they have like that mixture of influences to make sure Toothless is actually realistic to how a potential dragon would have acted. I think that really is like a really goes into how how well it how well how much detail was put into designing this character, not just animating, but into like the the inner workings of Toothless as a character. And it's like at first impression, like when I watched it as a kid, I was like, oh, that is a cool black dragon. Wow. But now it's like there's a lot more 
to that character, which you if it wasn't there, you would notice it isn't there, and you'd be like, that driving's a bit limp. But they they did such a good job of really delving into that as a character. I think it definitely links to like kind of the wider like themes of the film as well, and this idea of like idealism and the belief that flying dragons is magical and can actually exist for kids like they just do such a good job of bringing such this magical world to life absolutely and they do show that it's not an instantaneous thing that you can do like there's the whole all the whole man montage of them trying to learn to fly is brilliant which is why i think it was such an important change from the book to make toothless a lot bigger so that he could be ridden Um, yeah yeah. that also links to one of my other facts um so like when hiccup um was using the pen um, uh, when he was making Toothless uh, tail. Um, if you pay attention, um, Hiccup um, crushes some of the black scales Toothless has shared, like, because he's been stuck. And then Hiccup asked Toothless to drool into the ball of the crushed scales. Um, and the fact is that the, the st- substance was used to paint Toothless's new tail black. Um, so his tail was literally made out of, like, his own scales and his sliver, which is... <laughs> both gross Ooh. but also really really creative that's 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 quite cool and it kind of shows that they're working together to make this thing like they do it's kind of kind of wholesome as well because like they're doing what toothless loves which is flying but then also doing what hiccups love which is like forging and stuff it's like yeah just an old married couple it's so cute rapport i love them so much speaking of couples in this film uh there's an addition in the but like a lot of the named characters outside of Hiccup, Toothless and the dad are all unique to the films. Uh, one definitely being Astrid, the love interest of uh, Hiccup. And well, not exclusively the love interest, just this badass woman who's, I will admit, has probably some of the worst hair I've seen in cinema. Cheese string looking esque. It's just, it's not good. I don't remember if it improves in the sequels, but I hope it does. It's constantly it's in her not... eyes. Like, you can't fight a dragon with your hair in your eyes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. Yeah, like, I, I kind of, I'm kind of, like, um, on two sides about Astrid. Like, I don't like that she's kind of introduced as a love interest because I just, I hate it when films require a love interest for the main characters. And it's, I just feel like it's just not needed, especially in a film about dragons. But then at the same time, I feel like, She's not just a love interest. She, she kind of like stands on her own as like a female Viking, which is nice as I think like the book feels very like male heavy. So it's nice to kind of have that addition in the film. Yeah, I think it's definitely an issue of both book and film that there isn't much uh, female representation. Like it's thing in the, so in the first one, there's a twins and I quite like the, the, the I don't remember the female twins name, but she, she's quite fun and quite, just always putting heads with her brother. But then in the sequel, like she has a love interest in one of the other characters, which I thought was like, ugh, that, 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 that wasn't fun. And it's like, I kind of just want, I just want to see like a woman Viking just bashing some heads together. <laughs> <laughs> we just want some female strength. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, she's she's interesting as well because she's kind of the one that is meant to win and is meant to seen as the biggest competitor. And, and then she realised that it's not actually about that when Hiccup shows her how that dragons are, can actually be nice. And I think 
that's kind of a nice side plot that the book doesn't have. Yeah, I think it's a quite a nice uh, inversion of the stereotype. Like, oh, the person who's going to be best at all this dragon killing is going to be uh, some big buff guy like uh, Hiccup's dad. But then it's this quite powerful woman who uses her intelligence to defeat them. Like, she's read the book. She knows what she's doing. And then throughout the village, there is... There you can, it's not definitely like an overwhelming amount of men going around fighting the dragons. There is, there is women, and it's not like all the women are seen left behind, apart from like the really old one, mm. who's like the soothsayer lady, which I thought was it. It, it was nice. Yeah, that's I think. Um, it's interesting that um, Hiccup's friend is it is it Fishlegs? Is that what he call, he's called? Oh yeah, Fishlegs in the in the book. Yeah, so he's like, he's much more, like, he's described as a scrawny little, like, coward in the book, whereas in the film he's kind of, like, stout, knowledgeable, like, he literally knows everything about dragons, and he's, like, excited about dragons and new species, whereas, like, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up with the book of this kind of kid that literally wants to hide in a corner, and I, I think the film in that essence kind of lives up to the stereotypes of what kids want to see in Vikings and puts that on the screen. I quite liked how, I think it was, in, I don't know which I preferred interpretation, like for the film, I liked how they made it so it was an alternate version of a Viking who mm. had their, their uses to the to the village in terms of like they're really smart. And, but then in the book, like I quite enjoyed how this is a person who is in a world full of dragons and really does not belong in a world of dragons. They're allergic, but it's just a horrible time film. It was really just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I quite like it in the book when um, Hiccup gives up his dragon for fish legs. He's like, like you can have my dragon because you're definitely not going to get one and you're going to be cast out. And then it's like, uh, Hiccup, you're going to get cast out now. It's just funny. So it's, I mean, that's where the book, book, book and film actually just is really funny for kids and just entertaining. Yeah, the the book definitely gives me a lot of Roald Dahl vibes in the kind of humour it has, like the very just rude jokes, the burping, the, the, I don't think there's any fine, but there probably is at some point. And it's just very much childish humour, which I can't, really wish I'd been able to experience more as a kid rather than yeah. now. Because, well, I didn't really laugh. I mean, there was a few like quite funny, uh, like, oh, <laughs> moments, which I was like, oh, okay, that's quite good. But yeah, it's. It, I think it does a good job of capt- recapturing the what made Roald Dahl's book so good with this book. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's kind of got the geeky tone of it that Roald Dahl has that appeals to children um, and makes it kind of like coming of age esque. Um, I definitely found like when we did Fantastic Mr. Fox, like we could get into that as books as adults. But I kind of like as much as I loved reading How to Train Your Dragon, it was such an easy read. Like it's not long at all. Um, I couldn't really appeal to it because I think it's very much aimed at kids. Um, whereas Rodal kind of still is relevant for adults now. So I think there's kind of that disparity there. Yeah, I definitely think we've... It's it's not aimed at us, and that is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. But I think I would I would have enjoyed reading it as a kid. But there was some stuff I really enjoyed about reading it now. Like, it was... I love how much uh, the the author mixed up the writing styles used because mm. like there was like an entire section where it's like, you know, I'm gonna have a book within a book which has like a checkout of who's seen it and all that stuff. And I thought that like that's really clever. But then 
and this is definitely my fault but i read it on a kindle which really mm-hmm. can i felt like really hampered the experience of reading those sections and seeing all the drawings so i really wish i'd read the book of it rather than having it on the kindle which is just another reason to boycott amazon <laughs> yeah i read it on kindle too um and i think you're right like it goes back to the whole age old debate of like kindle versus physical books um and i i think i really i like i really wish i'd bought the book for this one because just seeing those like stat sheets and the the like the pictures would have made it a lot nicer physically um because I, I don't know if it was the same with you but the font got a bit like messed up on my kindle and like I struggled to kind of like it was it was zoomed out and I was just a bit I'm like I'm pretty sure some parts of like the book were cut off for me but I'm not 100% sure which yeah I, I think I, I had like, that too <laughs> I was like what words are hidden by on the pixels of the screen no <laughs> I think as well like like if we were to do the rest of the series I would definitely go and buy the books because the I like I think the covers as well um yeah they're, they're really fun covers an excellent, excellent, excellent. I'm, I'm saying excellent so much because it really is that excellent. Part of the book and I've more prominent in the film is all the designs of the dragons. Mm-hmm. They're so good and like they're really well designed. Like I love the scene in the film, which is like a uh, hiccup going through all the different dragons, like kill on sight. And it's like, oh my God, these look so cool. And I'm like, that could be the main antagonist of the next one. That one could be, that one could be. And I'm like, this is so cool. And I'm like, this, I can just see child me just going, foaming at the mouth and saying all this shit. <laughs> yeah, like some of them are really ugly, but they're like perfect for kids. Like, and I think, I think even for marketing as well, like imagine marketing that film and thinking how many teddies you can make out of all those different breeds of, of dragons. We're going to make so much money. <laughs> I also really liked how the book actually had dragons and information in it in the film, whereas in the in the book, like the book within the book, was literally just all you have to do to train a dragon is yell at it, and that was the end of the book. I was like, give me more. I I, I did think that was probably the funniest part of the book for me. Just like, oh, I can't wait for like an entire chapter on this book, and it's just like a few pages, and then it's hiccup. Like actually, in the not the book book, but the book being like, is that it? And then it's like later on, like they keep the joke going, and it's his dad being like, "The book is quite small, isn't it?" (laughs) And And they just keep Uh, telling him to yell at it, and Hiccup's just there, like, "I can't yell." (laughs) Unrelated to that point, um, I think it's I think it's a good thing that they adapted and took out the whole kind of big thing in the book that is that Hiccup can speak to dragons um, through dragonese, um, and it's more of like in the in the in the film, it's more that they're meant to kill dragons, not train them, and Hiccup can train them. Um, whereas in the book, it's like you're meant to train your dragon. Hiccup can't train it properly, so he speaks to it. Um, and I think like if he were to speak Dragonese in the film and they were to keep that from the book, it would just feel awkward and jarring. Whereas in the film, I think it works. Yeah, absolutely. I did find that bit quite jarring. Like it felt like the, the book like stumbled and fell into the oh, he's the chosen one trope mm-hmm. and I think the film did a good job of going away from that and more making it realize like the reason this is happening is one because Toothless is an, a more open to other people kind of dragon despite being shot and <laughs> uh, Hiccup is truly like quite a kind at heart kind of person who's one doesn't want to do this type thing and it's very much they're in 
entire relationship is done through physical interaction, which I guess wouldn't really have been possible in the book. Mm. And I think the film does an excellent job by through all the stuff we discussed with Toothless's uh, uh, design and like all that just works really well, like their body language and how they relate to each other. Yeah, I really like seeing kind of the development throughout the film as the other characters kind of realise that Hiccup is kind of like winning, but all he's winning is through like scratching the dragon's belly or like, you know, distracting it rather than like stabbing it in the eye. I think it's just really wholesome. I think it really does paint a good message of uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, Mm. And if you give it more time and you invest a bit of trust, you might get even more trust back. And it's just like, there's a whole lot of love to give and you can learn so much if you take the time to get to know someone that you've never really known before or you've been told that you should not know this person. And getting the time to know them is really good. And maybe in real life, if dragons are real, probably best to avoid fire-breathing dragons. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think if dragons are real and I found it toothless, like I would fall in love with that dragon. He's so cute. I think for me, like what was interesting is how um, the books were a lot more violent and um, darker than the movies. Like I think they had a lot of stuff on kind of like racism and prejudice and like segregation, child abandonment, um, like, you know, the dangers of revenge and that kind of stuff. And while the film kind of does a good job of bringing those bits out, because like we, it literally starts mid-fight, um, I think, like, the action scenes, are while they're immense, they're kind of toned down for a child. They don't bring out that toll, like, child abandonment, your dad's going to, like, exile you if you don't train this dragon. Yeah, absolutely. Like, a fun thing I noticed with the film is that all the Vikings are always boasting out about the fact that they've killed dragons or how many dragons they've killed. The only person you see kill a dragon in that film is Hiccup at the very end. And you don't even see really the dragon die, you just kind of see it explode. But the film is really brutal, not just in how it, with the child abandonment and being sending them away to a horrible island, but also like the dragon deaths himself, like the whole stuff between the massive dragons. I, I've, I could really picture that and it came across quite fun and then the, like the big dragon dying at the end by just blowing up. Yeah, I really like that bit in the book actually where they, they all panicked because there was a massive dragon and then another dragon turns up and it's like, oh shit, we've got two massive dragons on our island and we don't know what to do. Send Hiccup. Uh, touching on the bit you said about uh, like the child abandonment and how they sent them away, I thought that was quite a nice bit of uh, character development for the dad like mm-hmm. I think uh, so everyone always goes on mad about the development of the relationship between Hiccup and Toothless which is absolutely rightly so but I think the dad really does do a great job of being developed in both book and film like the book he starts off as stoic brave he doesn't give any shits about anybody he's just the leader of the village and he sticks to the rules no matter what so he knows he has to get rid of his son but then near the end he's like hang on why did I do this? I'm a bit of an idiot. And then I think the film takes that idea and then really, really develops it. Like, I love the dad's redemption scene in the film, like him going down and saving. Because, like, sure, obviously he's in the wrong throughout the entire film, but I never found it annoying that he was in the wrong. Like, it was completely understandable why he was in the wrong. And, like, the, the whole, like, 
shadow. That's kind of always a shadow on their relationship in the film because it's like, where's Hiccup's mum? Like mm-hmm. he has his helmet, but where's Hiccup's mum? And he can like, there's something in there, and it's like you understand all of Stoic's uh, anger and like fear in this. And he's quite an intelligent leader at the same time. He's just this big man. But then he does what is right at the right time. And I just, I, I love that man. Just made him even better for me, the fact that he's played by Gerard Butler. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think like the dad in both book and film kind of starts out with all these expectations that are kind of attached to being a Viking. And then as the film and the book go on, he kind of realises that he has to learn from this new generation of Vikings, this younger generation that kind of know better than him now. And like, I think it it's very applicable to life itself, like how we're constantly like teaching our elders and our grandparents and parents and stuff, new stuff about the way of life. And that scene when he he, he like dives into the ocean to save Tuflis is just so emotional because it's like, actually this dad hasn't learned from what his son has kind of been telling him and has realized that his way is just not the best way anymore. And I think it's just nice. Absolutely. And I find like an interesting contrast between the book and film's interpretation of Stoic with Hiccup was that in the book, Stoic wants Hiccup to become this badass dragon trainer. Whereas in the film, Stoic would want nothing else than that to happen. Like he does not want that to happen at the start because Hiccup is such a calamity, which I thought was quite a nice addition to his character. Like he matches his name. He just he always breaking everything. <laughs> so I thought it was it was really nice that they they did that, and I thought stoic uh, learning like oh my son can actually just sure it's not the conventional way, and I always love that scene where like it's the final like like he's about to kill the dragon, he's just like I would have gone for the axe. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That is good. Yeah, you're right. In the like the, the beginning scene, like like stoic's very no my son is not hunting dragons my son is gonna sit in his room and do nothing and then it's like oh my son actually wants to well wants to hunt dragons because that's what hiccup thinks he should do and he's like oh well you do what you want to do then like you go hunt dragons when that's exactly not what he wants to do and and then it's so wholesome when they're like he comes back from his initial like from going out to hunt the dragon and it's like oh wow toothless is actually this awesome dragon killer man and like they just just there's just sat right next to each other it's like so we can finally have a conversation we can finally bond i've been waiting for this all your life <laughs> and it's just like oh and then they, they actually do get to bond and i think that's just this is wholesome i mean like as much as the film is dark and violent and as much as it's wholesome it's also really really sad like i don't think the book was sad at all like i didn't cry like I, I read it and then I was done where I was like like we watched this on Netflix party and I was like I'm crying I'm crying like constantly crying I mean I didn't really get that but then I don't really feel emotion so, <laughs> uh, I mean it, it is I just have some very beautiful moments and you're right the film the book I don't really think that's never the focus like to make like oh I want to make this kid cry when he reads this book I want him like I want them to laugh I want them to have a good time I want them to picture these big scary dragons and stuff and I think the film is a lot more adult in how it deals with a more broad range of emotions and topics and just uh, all stuff and I think one part of the book the film which I really love is the representation of disability 
Mm. It's like one in terms of Toothless having uh, like losing part of his tail and he struggles to fly and he gets some help. And then obviously at the end, Hiccup losing his leg. And I think that's done so well in the in the film. Like it's not like because usually in like most fantasy films, oh they lose a hand like Jamie Lannister or, or someone like that. It's like it's not too much of a hindrance because they they got another hand, they got their other hand they could use. But like it did have a really good job of showing that he isn't instantly perfect on this new limb. He is stumbling and he's being supported by everyone around him. And I think that's really good. And I also think the character, I don't remember his name, but he does all the training and he's missing like the hand and the leg. Mm-hmm. I think he does a really good job of portraying how, sure, he may be missing two limbs, but he's a badass. He do, he's, he is every much as bit of a Viking as everyone else. And the bit at the end where he's like, I can double that time. And it's just him and Stoic just doing what they do in the book and just shouting. And it's just, it's just awesome. Yeah, I think, I think it's really good that children's like literature and children's film like obviously this film it like you can watch it if you're an adult too um but like that the demographic of it being aimed at young people isn't is good representation of disability and kind of shows that even though he loses his leg like it's not all perfect straight away he does struggle but then at the same time he's he can still ride toothless and he can still do the things that he did when he had two legs and I think I think that's nice that it doesn't hold him back and they don't show this disability is a bad thing that will hold people back like he he can still thrive and I think I think that's really good to see on screen yeah it's not like oh he's lost a limb he can't ride a dragon anymore he can't be a biking anymore everyone is so like accommodating to who he is and like that I think that's kind of a quite sad in comparison to like every like uh, us, us now have a lot of problems when it comes to supporting people with disabilities, and they're not uh, as inclusive enough. And yet, these group of these group of Vikings who are brutal and throw sheep at each other do it so well. Yeah, it's very inspirational. I think as well. I just love the parallel. Like as you see him get onto Toothless, and it's like they they both can't uh, not you know he's only got one leg and two has only got one half of his tail and it's just it's just kind of nice to see that parallel that they're kind of two 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 people that kind of make a whole together absolutely yeah like toothless uh can't really fly properly by himself hiccup can't he can walk but just not very well like he needs support when he's walking but together they are just as good as they were before like, like i mean like they are as you say, two parts to a whole. And I think that's both physically and emotionally now. Like they are two peas in a pod together, like together till the end type thing. And I just think mm. it's so so good. That that bit at the end when um Toothless is like laid on the floor and Stoic thinks that he's dead and that his son's dead and he's just like wrapped him up and it's just so like it's so emotional just seeing him like hold him like a baby and like protect him. It's it's so like that bit always gets me like <gasps> is he up dead and then it, it adds to such a brutal like mirroring in the in the second film and this it, it always makes me go a bit <sighs> and I think all I haven't seen the third one but those first first two really do they they do hit you know they do hit. I mean I I sob in one and two but I think I like was full on like ed- exited the cinema with like 
blotchy red eyes for the third one. Oh, <laughs> it's like this film excellent. has destroyed me in a good way. <laughs> I really want to watch the animated TV um TV show. Oh yeah, that's on Netflix, isn't it? And I assume that covers more of the, the books. I assume so, yeah, because there's literally so many books. Do you want to know a random fact? I'll I'll hear a random fact. So um in the montage part where Toothless and um, Hiccup are getting to know each other, the hesitation Toothless shows during the um, famous touch scene where he's like, when Hiccup's going to touch him, was actually an animation error. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't meant to be like that, but it looks so perfect that the animators chose to leave it in. Oh, that's so cool! Because like I always, I always love that bit. Like I, obviously, I love that entire part of the scene where like they touch. But I really just love the. The little bit of character they add to Toothless where he just stutters a little bit and I assume that's what the error was. And I'm like, yeah. yes, it did. <laughs> it's so cute. I was really surprised, like, with how, how well the film flows. Mm. Like, I've seen that film a bunch of time, but every time it just goes so quickly because every, at no part of the film feels not earned. Like, it's all leading into, like, like it's all the whole relationship building like there's good montages which actually contribute to the storyline and it's them growing. i think that is a good way of using a montage it's actually showing development between two characters over a limited period of time and they both they don't just exclusively do that it's a whole bunch of stuff and it's it just it every bit just links right next to, it's like a whole hop skip and a jump like all, all the way through the film and it's just magnifique yeah, I completely agree. Like, it's a, is it a two-hour film? Or is it an hour and a half? That's a good question, I think. Probably between two, an hour and a half and two. Yeah, like, that's that's pretty long for, like, a children's film. But I think it does a really good job of including everything that kids want to see. Like, it's got the relationship. It's got the action scenes, like, at the beginning with the fights. But it's also got the action scenes with where they're doing the, sev- like, facing each dragon in the like training area which is like what you want to see like when you go into a film called how to train your dragon um but then it's also kind of got the lead up to the plot where we get to see this kind of hidden area with the dragons in but we don't quite reach it yet and then and then we that we reach that tension with the like the older vikings it's just got everything like it's got humor it's got the action it's got the somewhat romance that others may like but yeah yeah, I really like how it, uh, like the whole bits with the uh, Viking training is like, oh, this is like, there's an element of fun to this. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it's just like, oh, okay, this is quite good. And then when it gets to the last bit, I, I it's, it's one of like my favorite lines in cinema, and it's just the mountain breaking open, and it's just Stoic going, Odin, help us. Him <laughs> basically peeing himself seen as a massive dragon like from that point on you can tell like this just stopped this just got quite serious like if the biggest viking in the village is looking like a scared little man we should probably be worried and i thought that such a big dragon as well (laughs) on the topic of the actually the big dragon i i thought the design in the film was really cool just this really big mountain looking dragon which then can extend these even larger wings that are just like kind of encrusted to its back mm. my like like my interpretation of how the dragon looked in the film i mean in the book 
I think I preferred that dragon to the dragon we got because I okay. thought it was so cool. This dragon just buried at the bottom of the ocean, just encrusted in jewels and stuff like eating entire Roman things. And then the whole aspect of it being a the speech, like of, I don't like this how uh, Toothless can speak to dragons, but I thought the speech and the talking of this big dragon was so cool and intimidating. Like it gave me big, like Smaug vibes, or uh, mm. or like the Jabberwocky from that really weird Tim Burton film. I don't know. I don't think I know that. <laughs> uh, Alice in Wonderland, like the Tim Burton one, was like it's got like Matt Lucas and some weird CGI baby man. No. Maybe that was just a fever dream of my own. <laughs> but yeah, like the whole just like massively overwhelming force with just a cunning, that overwhelming power with just a cunning voice, which just is probably one of the most scary bits of this overall just gargantuan beast. And it's just so good. Yeah, it's like it's like cunning, but it's also really witty. And I think that's it kind of adds to kind of the threat and the scare in the book that's not really there in the film because obviously the dragons can't talk um rather it's just the sheer size of the dragon in the film is what's scary and what adds the cunningness where it's obviously the dialogue in the book um I actually kind of wish that the dragons did talk in the film rather than um not talking because I think they kind of it was kind of funny watching um Toothless and Hiccup kind of like argue with each other and kind of like Toothless being like I, I don't want to go get that fish whereas that's kind of while we've got this lovely like physical relationship in the film I do kind of miss the dragons talking. I, I do think it, there was an element of humour to like the whole dragon speaking but I, I think it would have ruined the character they made for Toothless in the mm. film. I'm just imagining the whole scene with the, the, the dancing over the cracks. And it's just Toothless going to touch his face, being like, boop. <laughs> if you, if you could cast someone, though, to, for Toothless, to voice Toothless, who would you cast? Oh, that is an excellent question. And I'm going to go for uh, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> who would you go for? Oh, um... You know, it's super cursed, but what if we had, like, Adam Sandler? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. I, I, I need that now. Just to... oh, I agree, though. We'll completely ruin the character. Uh, yeah, yeah. They don't even need to have voice anymore. We've, we've ruined it ourselves. Well, that was... Yeah, I'm not sleeping tonight after that. Just... As long Oof. as it's not Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, <laughs> we don't need him voicing another dragon. Uh, I mean, he was amazing in Smaug, which we will definitely talk about when we cover The Hobbit. Won't be for a while, because George is too scared to go back into the world of those books. Yeah. I mean, I, I've actually read The Hobbit, but it's just The Lord of the Rings that I can't get into. <laughs> but we will for the podcast. I, I'm willing to do it for you guys. <laughs> That's what I'll be saying when I said Twilight's the next book. That is when the podcast will end. <laughs> Oh, do you want to know another fact? I'd love to hear another fact. Um, so this was on the IMDb page. Um, so David Tennant, who is the narrator of the How to Train Your Dragon audiobook series, um, actually did a cameo voice for 
Beitel out. Like, I think that's one of the Vikings, um, though he's not credited. Um, and he also narrates some features on the film's website, which I think is pretty cool that he's involved with kind of everything. He is a, he's Who, a good man. Jessica Jones, uh, Broadchurch, now How to Train Your Dragon, just a man. An entire specimen. Good omens as well. Like, oh. I was gonna say he's been good omens as well. I think that's his um, best work, second to um Doctor Who. Ooh. I I'd be in agreement. Yeah. I no, actually no. I think Doctor Who's his best, then the purple man and Jessica Jones. I hated him. But then we but you've yeah. had this argument before. And <laughs> you're just wrong. No, uh, yeah. you're wrong. <laughs> I actually, I, I've checked the facts and it says you're wrong. That is my next fun fact. You're wrong about David Tennant <laughs> and Jessica Jones. I'm sad he's not credited though in How to Train Your Dragon. Like, I get, I guess the Viking just must say like one line or something. It's just not worthy of it. Yeah, maybe he just didn't want to be credited and wanted to just give focus to lead actor and stuff like that. And I, I kind of want to listen to the audiobook. Like I don't really listen to many audiobooks, but I feel like that is an audiobook I would want to you know, like that and like the whole Harry Potter read by uh is it who 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 did the audio recordings for the Harry Potter books? I don't know. Is the guy from like is it Stephen? No, I don't know. But like there's like what? certain people who are like iconic for doing audiobooks. Hmm. And I'd be very interested in. Yeah, and I think that's kind of an interesting uh, like subgenre of adaptation. Like, mm. do they adapt these characters well when it's just the audio? Like, do these characters sound how you this what they sound? Are mm. they have you been pronouncing the name of this character wrong this entire time? <laughs> it's happened far too many times for me. But. Yeah. I um yeah, I that's an interesting thing actually, because with animation films, like we've only done this one and Fantastic Mr. Fox, but you can't really judge cat the actors. Like, you know, we always say like blah blah makes a really good blah blah. Like, you know, actor is a is a really good character for that role, um, based on what we saw in the book. But with with like voice actors, you can't I don't know, like I didn't really go into the book and came out being like, actually I wanted someone else to voice that in the film. Like anyone who voiced it would have been great um i also think yeah i think it would be really good to listen to uh, how to train your dragon as audiobooks i think it'd have that fun tone that comes across in her writing in the book like through david tennant's voice which i think would be really cool to listen to also uh david tennant a a scottish man yes yes voicing several dragon uh, several vikings yes please yeah that is all i will say on that that's so true actually because they the the in the audiobooks they have to voice every single character that speaks like they're not just you know and change their accent and then they have to remember the accents for all those different mm. characters yeah you know one one audio one audiobook series i do want to listen to is um lord of the rings because isn't it the the guy who plays Gollum is the one that does the audiobooks i think that was the newer adaptation of it like oh. that was quite recently he did like all of it like I, I really want to give that a list and that will be amazing yeah. but I feel like I owe it to myself to actually read the book first you owe it to, to, to Tolkien I owe it to him I'll go to his grave and be like I did it for you Tolkien I did it <laughs> will for you will you do that for Jane Austen 
I, I, I'll do it for you too, Jane Austen. <laughs> well, not you, J.K. Rowling. No. So, on that note, um, George, book or film? Oh, that's a good question. And I, I usually I go like a bit back and forth, like, oh, I love the bit of the book, oh, I love a bit of the film. But film, easy. Like, I think because I grew up with that, that is what I know to be How to Train Your Dragon. And I think I've just missed the point of really getting stuck into How to Train Your Dragon, the book. But I do definitely see the appeal and really wish I had read that as a kid. Yeah, I think I'm with you on this one. Like, I think I think this is the first time we've kind of come across a book and a film on this podcast where, like, you kind of have to view them as two separate entities um, and they're kind of, like, both good in their own right. Um, but, like, if you have to, like, have to pick one, like, the film definitely... Well, it doesn't outshine, but it just stands out more than the book for me. And I think it's more memorable and it's more fun. And like Christina Carroll is a fantastic writer. She's done a brilliant job with the books, but the film's just so, so good. It, it, it can't really be like, it's an animated film. It's going to be remembered as one of the greats. And I will always go back and rewatch that film. Yeah. And I think, but we should definitely give kudos to the author. Mm. and how she made this really diverse world and because of how diverse and well made it was they were able to use it as the jumping ground for the film and I think Mm. both of them have earned a little special place in my heart however dark and shriveled it may be in your dark heart that doesn't cry to how to train your dragon um she actually said um in a interview that she was happy with the films and she said like they were true to the spirit of the books I think I think it's good that the author herself um acknowledges brilliancy of the films whereas like you know there's certain authors out there who probably hate the the adaptations of their books it's definitely it's always nice when an author thinks an adaptation has done what they've worked so hard on right all these words they've spend hours and hours and hours just making sure of right and happy for them is done in a way which is like yeah that's what I was going for and they did it yeah and I do believe that once again brings us to the end of the page and to the credits thank you so much for listening uh, let us know your opinion about how to train a dragon be it the book or film on our twitter at from page to pick or our Instagram at from page to picture. Hopefully our next episode won't pale in comparison as we cover Bram Stoker's Dracula and its 1992 adaptation starring Keanu Reeves and Gary Oldman. Hopefully it won't suck too much.